ready? I don't know about you. I, I love Sundays like this. And, and we get to continue to worship our God. This is just a good day. And I don't know about you, but it may be snowing out there, but it feels like Florida up here. Whew. All right. Hot and humid. There, there are three questions. Three questions that, that the human race continues to pursue from generation to generation. Those questions are, one, where did we come from? Two, why are we here? And thirdly, where are we going? Those questions... I think are good for for each person to ponder, to consider. What I love, though, is that as believers, we can look at these questions and we can find the answer in God's Word. We're going to look at that this morning, and these questions, if if you find the answers, will address all of life's circumstances and situations that you and I will come across. It will be relevant to your life and mine. As Paul is writing the words to the Philippians, as he's pondering his situation, as he's penning the words that we're going to look at this morning... I am confident he knew the answers to these questions. I also ponder where a man like Paul would go in the scriptures. Considering his situation, his circumstances, what passages of scripture would he go to? I would think that maybe he would go back to an Old Testament saint by the name of Job. Job in chapter 14 says this, Man who was born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Many can relate with that. Verse 5 goes on to say, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have said that he cannot pass. You know, I would imagine as Paul pondered those words, those words brought comfort. Every day of Paul's life was numbered. God knew exactly what was in store. Does that bring comfort for you? I wonder if he turned to the Psalms. I I love the Psalms. They bring such comfort in in times of difficulty. How many of you are are accustomed to just turning to the pages of Psalms when when you have those, those difficult seasons in your life? Psalm 139 says this. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. 
Think about being Paul and remembering, recalling these verses. The psalmist goes on to say, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remote parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Consider those two passages. Those would be passages that Paul would know intimately. Ones that he would have committed to memory. And as he recalls the truth of God's word, he would be able to look to those questions and understand that it is God who molds us, who puts us together, who created you and me. He would understand that the days that he has are numbered by the Lord. No need to worry about tomorrow because God has it ordained. With these passages, Paul delivers some amazing truth and comforts as he speaks to the Philippians. Please turn with me, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin verse 19. Yes, Paul writes, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, though through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. We briefly looked at that last week. Paul goes on to say, though, for me, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Imagine being around a guy like that, by the way. I mean, just, just think about that. If he lives, he's happy. If he dies, he's happy. I mean, what do you do with that kind of guy? 
Rome was confused, that's for sure. But he goes on, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. Oh, yes. For that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. You almost forget that Paul is sitting in a prison chained to a Roman guard as he writes those words, don't you? I mean, you read those things and you're like, wow! What a perspective, Paul. There's been a statement, and the statement's true. All mankind die. However, some manage to also truly live. Paul understood what it was to live. Paul makes the statement, to live is Christ. That's a bold statement. That statement is is powerful in so many ways. But as you and I, as I look around the church today, as I look around our world and, and see believers, it breaks my heart that they don't rejoice, they don't live joy-filled lives declaring with their actions and their words to live as Christ. Often you look at the church, well, you see several things. First, to live is our kids' activities. To live is our kids' activities. How many parents out there can relate with that? Okay, our kids keep us busy. I have three of them, and there's only two of us parents. It gets hard. I get that. But suddenly we find ourselves saying, to live is our kids. Is it? Or this one. To live is sports, hobbies, the outdoors. can't tell you how many times I've been informed of when Bronco games start. Because to live is sports. Record it. To live is vacation, fun, pleasure. Can you relate with that one? We, we live to, to plan the next vacation. We live to, to, for the weekends of having fun and excitement. What a tragedy that coming together as the body of Christ and fellowshipping isn't considered fun and exciting. Or the other opposite, to live is to work, work, work. To go to work early, to come home late. 
That's to live. Or to live is money, wealth, things. And day in and day out, it is, it is the driving force behind everything that we do. Or what about this? To live is family, memories, schedules. Some of you are going, wait a minute. Or what about this? To live is self. Personal interest. Me time. Me, me, me. We find ourselves so quickly looking at lists like this. These temporal things of this life. And we look at these things and they so quickly in your life and mine. I'm not pointing the finger here. If I'm pointing one at you, I'm pointing three back at me. So quickly we allow these things to be thieves of God's very best for you and I. I listen to country music from time to time. There's some interesting songs out there. This one's an older one, and I find it interesting because it captures well the, the temporal mindset of so many in our world today. And unfortunately, that mindset is even in the church. The poet Joe Diffie writes a song that opens up this way. It says, well, I ain't afraid of dying. It's the thought of being dead. I want to go on being me once my eulogy has been read. Don't spread my ashes out to sea. Don't lay me down to rest. You can put my mind at ease if you fill my last request. Prop me up beside the jukebox if I die. Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. Fill my boots up with sand, put a stiff drink in my hand, prop me up beside the jukebox if I die. You know, you can chuckle at that. Made for a really good song, evidently. It hit the top charts. But we can have that same mindset, can't we? Where we love the things of this life so much that even, even eternity isn't something we're looking forward to. In fact, we, we find ways and try to, to hold on to those things. There is a draw to the things of this life. And it holds on to us with a tight grip. And we long for the things of this world so much that you and I fail to have an eternal mindset. An eternal mindset. And I believe that mindset has crept into the church and it's corrosive. It's eating away at what God intended to be one of the most joyous, power-filled places to come together. 
Because even when we come together as the body of Christ, our mind is not on eternal things, but the things of this world. And it fractures, it divides, it hurts, it corrodes the church from within. Christ. Christ is something we think about for after death. Oh, that'll be nice. It'll be great to to see Christ when I die. And he becomes an afterthought, an after-death thought. But everything else of this world is at the forefront. That is what we live for. Paul says, quite the opposite. He looks to the believer. He challenges them. He even says and demonstrates for them to live is Christ. I mean, imagine what it would look like for a believer to truly live that out in their life. Because it's real easy to say that on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Oh, to live is Christ. Wow, that's powerful. Yes. And then Monday happens and we don't live. We don't truly live. I I appreciate different ones. Jim Elliott. Some of you know his story. But Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Think about that. That's a man who knew how to live for Christ. Yet he died before one Alka Indian that he was trying to bring the gospel to could hear the gospel from his lips. But because of this man's life, That tribe is now the driving force for the gospel of Jesus Christ in that region. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. There's a man who knew what it was to live is Christ. D.L. Moody, I appreciate this man so much. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. You read about that man's life and all the impact he had for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. Paul sits there chained to a Roman soldier, not sure if death is is in store tomorrow. He doesn't know what tomorrow holds. He knows who holds it, but he doesn't know. And he rejoices. He fully rejoices. He sits there and says, this is great. Imagine being the Roman soldier going, I don't get you, Paul. And Paul's like, well, let me explain. You have eight hours, right? Let's go. And he explains to him the joy that he has in Jesus Christ. Paul understands that death cannot come a moment sooner because of the hand of God right there. And there's not a man on earth that can move that hand. What a freeing way to live. Confidence. In fact, death for Paul is gain. Imagine living that way. Where where death is not feared, death is not... Something you dread, but it is gain. Death is equated with joy. 
because of his Christ. I mean, it's so good. Paul's looking at both saying, I could be here, I could be there. He goes, I don't know which one to choose. It's like a kid in a candy store looking at all the candy going, I don't know, they're all good. Paul's like, this is amazing. He says, and it's almost like he chooses the lesser and he goes, but I'm going to stay on for you. That's how, he's going to stay on for them. But he has this eternal mindset. He wrote to the Corinthians. I love what he writes to the Corinthians. Forget which There it is. Okay. To the Corinthians, he writes this in chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage. I like courage. If you believe this, you'd have courage too. Listen, he goes, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That's his mindset. This is now two churches. He's encouraged with that mindset. I hope he's encouraging this church this morning with that same mindset. If God knows the number of your days and mine. That means he has a purpose. He has a plan that he's laid out just for you, just for me. I know some have questioned and come and even asked, Pastor, why am I here? Why am I in this place? I don't know. But God does. See, knowing that he has each and every moment planned for your life up to the very day, up to the very minute, means that he has fruitful labor for you. Ephesians 2.10. We always love 8 and 9, but Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship. Remember Psalm 139 said that? your abilities, your inabilities. He gave them to you for a purpose. He, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I am so glad God has prepared tomorrow for me. I don't have to worry that things are going to be in place. I'll have responsibility. I'll have work to do. But he has already laid it out. That is a comfort and it answers why you and I remain for fruitful labor. You and I remain here for fruitful labor, for good works. Good works does not earn salvation, but oh my goodness, God has works in store for you and I. Labor, work. Man, that sounds a lot like work, doesn't it? I want to remind you that work was a part of this life prior to the fall. Think about that. God gave mankind work, a job to do, a purpose in this world. 
And there was work, and it was prior to the fall, prior to sin coming in. The problem is, in Genesis 3, well, sin made work difficult. And to live a life that is is working and fruitful for, for Jesus Christ is difficult. It is hard labor. It's hard work. Don't think that this just comes easy. But Paul has declared to them, he goes, I want to be fruitful. I want to to see fruitful labor amongst you. Fruitful, the Spirit of God working out in Paul himself for the believers. Fruitful labor. See, the problem is, is we labor a lot. To live is work, 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 work. We feel that, don't we? The problem is, is often we are laboring in the wrong thing. Paul says it's necessary to stay. Not for him. I mean, here's the cool thing. Paul already has a relationship with Jesus Christ. In a moment, if, if Christ would have taken him in a moment, he would have been ready, boom, in heaven with Christ. That's great. The purpose of him staying is not for himself. It's for the others. It's for others. We live in such a consumer society Oh my goodness, it's going to be horrible. Soon we're going to have Christmas commercials coming on. And we're going to be told of everything that we need. Everything you have got to have. I'm already getting emails about it. Just what you've been looking for. The time is right. And we live in a consumer mindset constantly in our society the problem is we have come into the church with that same mindset me 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 what do you have to offer me what are you going to give me do your sermons have enough jokes do your sermons only last this long what are you going to give me i'm going to give you god's word that's what I'm going to give. If, if there's something funny in here, I'll say it funny. I mean, it's, God's Word has funny stuff in it. Just a side note, not even in my notes. I met with some pastors for lunch this last week, and oh my goodness, the waitress even had to come over because we were laughing so hard. Did you know that talking about farting is in Scripture? It is. I'll use it in a sermon sometime. I will, but it's in there. I mean, we were rolling. I mean... Scripture's funny, but you know what? Sometimes when we come to the Scripture, a sermon needs to be God's Word, not just entertainment. When we come together, what is your purpose? Is it to meet your needs? Or is it to come together understanding that you are a part of the body of Christ? This morning, my right hand worked a whole lot harder on brushing my hair and my teeth than my left hand. My left hand was just kind of sitting there on the sink doing nothing. The right hand did all the work this morning. You're like, I can tell that hair and, you know. No. 
you realize that the right hand contributed to the body? Do you realize that God has gifted you, given you abilities, talents, for the purpose of serving the body? Yet the problem is, is we come and we're like, I want to be served. And everybody sits there wanting to be served instead of coming together for the purpose of building up one another, for the fruitful labor of the body of Christ. Paul desired. Did you see that? I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul wants to see them progress in their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wants to see them grow in their joy for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all came to to encourage and build up others to grow in, in their faith, to progress, to move forward, to, to have more joy in Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? What a purpose. People ask, what's your purpose? Well, my purpose is to see others grow closer to Jesus Christ and find joy in him. I bet you get some people just stepping back going, whoa. That's a purpose right there. One of my favorite creeds, it's simple. I don't like complicated things, but it's been expressed over and over. The purpose of life is to know Christ and make him known. Simple, isn't it? It's so powerful. To live is Christ. To make him known. And in the process, know him more intimately and deeply and passionately. Christ himself would declare that same purpose. John chapter 17. This is part of that high priestly prayer as Jesus prays for you and for me. This is one of the things he prays. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. He prayed that for you. That's a powerful prayer right there. You ever think about Jesus praying for you? Read the rest of the prayer. But Paul brings up a matter of pride. And instantly, when we hear pride, we, we think, ooh, bad. What Paul brings up is is your pride going to be in yourself or in Christ? An eternal mindset will always be focused on Christ. The problem is, is when we live for self, when we live for those things on those lists, quickly to live is not Christ. To live is temporal. I I love the way verse 26 is stated in the New Living Translation. Sometimes those word-for-word translations like the New American Standard or ESV, they, they sometimes just mix things up so it's hard to understand 
But look at how the New Living Translation, and when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. I want you to think about your life for just a moment. Just this last week, I'm only asking seven days of you, okay? If I could have that verse back up real quick. As people watched your life, did they take pride in Jesus? Because they saw what he was doing in you? Or did they look and go, wow, and be impressed with you? What was demonstrated? So easy to to take the struggles of this life and draw attention to ourselves because we want pity. It's so easy to take our circumstances and want others to enter into our hardship. And there's nothing wrong with that feeling. In fact, Scripture says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. We're called to do that as the body of Christ, as the family of God. But is our focus there on us so much that as we go through the life's struggles, as we go through life's joys, it's all about us or is it about Him? Where do we point? You can't read this letter and tell me Paul is not pointing to Jesus Christ. I love it. Pride simply makes one thing great, typically you, and something else small, typically God. But when you reverse that, and our pride is in Jesus Christ, in what he has done, what he is doing in our lives, and we become so small, people look and all they see is Jesus Oh, what a healthy version of pride to have in your life. Where we make him big and ourselves so small. Paul couldn't help living in such a way where others saw Jesus. Truth is, is I need to step out of the way quite often. So others can see him. What or who are you living for? Is it something on that list? Is it something else? Is it someone else? Started out with those three questions. God's Word gives an answer. Where did you come from? Oh, church, it should bring great comfort. The truth that you are formed by the very hands of God. That he made you exactly the way he wanted you to be without one mistake. And when he looked at you, he saw a masterpiece. Why are you here? Simply put, 
to know him. God's giving you your lifetime, however long or short that is, to know him better and to make him known. Where are you going? Well, Paul's been pretty clear on that. Last week was pretty clear. But where you go is a choice. It's not an absolute. It's a choice. If you choose Jesus Christ, as so was beautifully demonstrated by by Dominic and Bonnie, placing your faith in his finished work, then your destination is eternity with Jesus Christ. And you can declare along with Paul, to die is gain. But if you choose self, if you choose to reject what Christ has so graciously extended, your destination is hell. Eternal separation from God. That's a long time. But the answer to question three is your choice. I appreciate that there is a purpose for you and I. So I want to leave you with two questions as we close this morning. Are you helping someone progress in the faith? Is there someone that you are helping to just grow in their relationship and understanding of Jesus Christ? Or maybe the question this morning is, are you growing? Progressing in your faith? Question two. Are you striving to help others find joy in the faith? Wouldn't that be a purpose on a Sunday morning? I've told you numerous times my favorite part of a Sunday morning is not coming up here and preaching. And I love preaching God's word. But it's coming together with the body of Christ. To encourage and build up, to pray for sometimes, to to encourage, to cry with sometimes the body of Christ and help you find greater joy in this Savior that we serve. You are my greatest joy on a Sunday morning because we come together as the body, as the family of God. What's your greatest joy on a Sunday morning? For some, I know it's when the pastor says, Amen, and you can continue on with the rest of your day. To go and live whatever it is that you live for. You can't wait to leave these doors. In fact, sometimes while I'm praying, I see people exit. It breaks my heart. You're missing out on one of the greatest things of coming together on a Sunday. Maybe you haven't found that joy yourself yet.
I want to close with a verse. Once again, with the words of, of Paul as he wrote to the Ephesian church. We, we like to boast, but we boast in the wrong thing. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. In fact, I would like you to read it with me because I think these are words you need to hear yourself say too. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. My prayer is that you walk in them. My prayer is that you can declare this week, to live is Christ. Let's pray. God, to live as Christ is hard. It's difficult. So I pray that you would be with each one here, that you would encourage them, push them to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.